Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. If you'll remember, we have just finished the Mount Carmel victory with Elijah. Elijah had just finished the Mount Carmel victory where he put to death 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah where he challenged the people because he had been in prayer with God in a relationship with God. He was hearing from God and he went and challenged them and and he rebuilt the altar and they uh, called on their God all day long and no, nothing happened. Remember, he challenged them and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, prepare a sacrifice, a bull, and whichever God brings fire is the true God. And they called on their God all day long, O Baal, O Baal, Baal's above, the Lord of the flies. And, and he never did anything because he's a false God. And then Elijah called upon Yahweh God, and God sent fire, burn up the sacrifice, burn up the rocks, he burn up everything. And then, if you'll remember that he had prayed before, and it hadn't rained in three years, three and a half years, and so he goes and he prays seven times, uh, and as we closed out in chapter 18... He was praying uh, with his head between his knees, and there was a small cloud as a man's hand rising in the sea. So he said, go up, verse 44, 1844, go up, say to Ahab, remember Ahab is uh, uh, king right now, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. In other words, it's going to rain, Ahab, you better get down there. And he knew he was getting ready to go to Jezreel, where uh, 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 Jezebel was at where they basically ruled from in many ways and 45 now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black and the clouds and the wind and there was heavy rain so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel here he goes chariot and horse then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins, and we'll see that in our spiritual warfare. It's where they take their, their, the bottom of their uh, dress or kilt, whatever you want to call it, and they pull it up, and they put it in their belt so that it becomes like pants. And he ran, he girded his loins, and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Listen, he outran a horse. Now, there's different accounts. Some say it was 6 miles. Some say it was 15 miles. Some say it was 25 miles. I don't care. He outran a horse. Doesn't matter how long it was, but why did he do it? Because of the hand of the Lord being upon him. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. He did what he did because of the hand of the Lord. And it's something that we have to understand. That there's none righteous, no, not one. All of us are born and we're in the same position. And the only way to change that is in the blood of the Lamb. And then we rely upon Christ to sanctify us with his spirit through the washing of the water and the word. And then he prepares us. He calls us. He gifts us. He does the work in and through us. And it's not something that we do. It's the hand of the Lord, the strength of the Lord. So then we come to 19. After the great Mount Carmel victory, and we see 19.1, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done 
also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Now notice, notice what he said when he, Ahab speaks to Jezebel. And I don't know if you know, but remember I told you Jezebel means um, chaste or unhusbanded. In other words, she has no covering. She has no authority. Wait a minute. Her name means no husband, and yet she's married to the king. Uh. Ahab is her husband, but she has nobody in authority over her. She is the authority. She's the one calling the shots. Ahab is afraid of her. And we have that type of a, of a, a spirit in the world today, that type of a spirit even in the church, that we say we're betrothed to Christ, and that we believe in Jesus, and we're the bride of Christ, and yet we don't obey Christ. We, it's as if we're unhusbanded. It's as if we just don't listen to nobody, but we do what we want to do instead of listening to the word of God, to, the, to, to Jesus Christ, who is our groom, who is going to be delivering us back. Salvation brings us back to a husband, back to authority, back into the family of God. And yet we have a spirit, well, don't tell me, don't judge me, don't have that, and that we can just do what we want. And that's just not a good spirit to have. So, but notice this, the Jezebel, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Notice, notice where their eyes are at. Their eyes are not saying, look at all that Elijah did by the hand of God. Look at all that God did to Elijah, his prophet. They're looking at Elijah as the enemy. Now, Elijah means the Lord is God. But Ahab is telling Jezebel, do you know what Elijah did? Listen, Elijah is given the glory to God. The church should be given the glory to God. It's not all that Elijah has done, but it's what God has done. And also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. It's interesting that the word for sword here, the first definition in the Strong's is drought. Listen, I'll read it to you. Drought is the first word, and then also a cutting instrument from, or from its destructive effect knife, sword, axe, dagger, or a tool. But drought is first. Now notice what got him into this place was a drought. There was no rain. And Jezebel had the prophets of God killed, and then God sends a prophet, but it's all done as an ambassador to God, and then 850 prophets, all the prophets of Baal and, and, and Asherah are killed because of the word of God. And he did it with a sword. How do we deal with the prophets of Baal? With the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We always want to deal with it with a sword. 
But the way they grow is in a drought. When there's a drought or a famine for the word of God, people listen to lies. They listen to the father of lies. And that's part of what happens. Who are you listening to today? Who are you standing with? Is the Lord God? Are you in the word of God? Are you one of those that would speak truth the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, so that the lies would be executed, that the prophets of Baal would be executed. That's what we're called to do, is to speak truth, to, in love, wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 2 Things are going to change quite quickly. Then Jezebel. So here's Ahab. He comes down. He tells his wife what happened. She sends. Watch this. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. They're, they're all down in Jezreel. Remember he outran Ahab. They're down in Jezreel together. Saying so let the gods do to me and more also. In other words let the gods kill me if I don't kill you by tomorrow. If I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she threatens Elijah. Ahab's listening to him. Ahab's obeying him. Ahab's been Ahab's doing everything that Elijah says. But this woman that has no husband, no authority, who's following false gods and the devil. She makes a threat against Elijah. Listen. He's got 24 hours to live. You know that this same spirit of Jezebel is in the world today in that the well, people are calling it all kinds of stuff, and 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 I'll just deep state, the one world government. We're, we're going to see the, the 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 antichrist spirit, which is the same spirit as you, as you would call Jezebel, because it's the devil ruling her. Today, uh, in the world, as we look at the war going on, the spiritual war, not the physical war. The battle is against getting rid of the church. It's getting rid of the witness of Christ. See, Elijah's standing in the way of Jezebel's power. Elijah's standing in the way of this physical kingdom. Elijah's getting in the way of the plans because they see him as the one who's killing the prophets, who's spreading the lies. And so when the church stands up and speaks truth and exposes the lies, when the church speaks truth of God and exposes the immorality of the LGBT community, when they step up and they speak truth about things that are going on, then that spirit, the devil, wants to kill the church because it's the only thing keeping him from setting up his kingdom here on earth. It's the only thing keeping him from being in full power and people following and worshiping him as he wants. He wants to be like the Most High God. And he's going to use the systems 
that are diametrically opposed to God. And I, I know you guys know this verse, 1 John 5, 19. You should be able to quote by heart. I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. See, the wicked one wants to be an authority. The wicked one wants God's worship. The wicked one wants to be the father, the father of all lies. But the true father has sent his son to die for us so that we can be delivered back into his family and his love. But the lying father is going to bring about death. He's going to do whatever it takes to get you to serve him, whether it's through, through pressure or fear or whatever it is, through lies or domination. He wants to be the authority of your life. So he gives you a little bit. And then as you turn your heart toward him, then he takes everything. He takes your soul. And God has delivered our soul. God has bought our soul back from death. He has given his own self and his son so that we don't have to listen to those lies and follow this earthly kingdom of death. That's all it's ever going to bring. It's going to be judged one day soon. In fact, Psalms 2 says that God laughs at them. He mocks them. He knows what their plans are. He knows everything. And he gives us freedom to follow him. And if we follow him, our heart turns toward truth. We begin to learn truth. We stand as a light. We're salt to the world. And we're the only thing keeping this earth moral in any way. We're the only thing keeping truth and the devil from coming to full power. So he wants to kill the church. Not the church that's worldly church that we call culturanity. The speaking up, standing up, shining a light, yelling about the truth of the word of God, church. He wants them dead. Because it's the only thing standing in the way of him having full power here on the earth. Right now, Elijah represents that to Jezebel. He's the only thing standing in the way. Nobody else is speaking up. Nobody else is taking a sword and cutting off the head of 850 prophets. But you have to understand that it was by the hand of God. And everything that we do in the church today has to be by the hand of God. Or it's mere culturanity. It's a church system that becomes social, full of psychology and sociology and politically correctness that's just following the same Jezebel, the same devil, and just telling people, here's the church, turn in here. And it has nothing to do with the blood of Jesus. It's a crossless gospel. It's an empty gospel. It's a deceiving gospel that leaves you in the same place that Jezebel is. You don't become an enemy of the devil or the antichrist you become in cahoots with him and deceived by him and you don't even know it and you tell others about this false gospel instead of standing for truth so Elijah stands in the way of her plans so what does she do she threatens him she sends a messenger to threaten him what happens he becomes fearful. Watch verse 3. And when he saw that, he heard this message. He's like, I got 24 hours to live. He arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba. means place of oath. 
will of an oath, well of an oath, it's a well, it's a, if you remember the Beersheba when Abraham dug a well there and then uh, Jacob dug it again when they covered it in. He went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Notice what he's doing. Someone has said he went from hero to zero. Notice, a moment, we just had the Mount Carmel victory. 850 prophets did it. Now one lady says, I'm going to kill you. You've got 24 hours to live. And he runs in fear. He got his eyes off his relationship with God. He got his eyes off the power of God. He actually believed his own press clippings. Look what Elijah's done. Elijah can't fight Jezebel. Run! He ran for his life. What are you running from? Are you running from anything? Are you running for your life? What are you afraid of today? You afraid to die? Christ has defeated death. You afraid of COVID? God's the great physician. You afraid of Black Lives Matter? To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. What are we running for our life for? If God be for us, who can be against us? Why is Elijah, who just stood for God, standing for God, the Mount Carmel victory, 850 prophets of Baal dead, he just seen the fire of God come down in judgment, why is he running? God is humbling him. Maybe he's believing that he really was. Because watch what, this, watch what happens as he goes on with his testimony. He thinks he's the only one. There's a type of humility there, but it's a false humility that's hidden in pride that he's the only one doing it. It's something that we have to learn here. I know it's something that I have to learn. Because anytime that we're in the Word of God, the Word of God is for us first, but then God gives us a testimony of what He's teaching us, and we should go share it with others. And I think they call it an Elijah complex. Sometimes you can feel like you're alone. You can feel like you're the only one, and you get your eyes in the wrong place. Instead of your eyes being on your relationship with Jesus, knowing that He's the only one, you begin to think that you're the only one. And the truth is, is He's the only Savior. He's the only God. He's the only power. He's the only strength. And all the rest of it is a lie. And it's a tool of the devil to deceive us and to cripple us and to bring us into fear when the only thing we should ever fear is God. Now, I'm not talking about sitting around being afraid of God, but we have to respect the power of God. I heard somebody put it like this the other day, and it's a very, I really liked it a lot. He said, every one of us, if, if we were asked, we're, we're fearful of electricity. We respect electricity. And this building has power coursing through it that could kill any of us if we grabbed it wrong. But we don't walk into the building afraid of it. But we allow it to be harnessed, and we, we do know that it's, fear, it's something we should fear. It could burn this building down. It could kill any one of us with one shock. But we don't stand around going, I ain't going in that building. I'm afraid. There's electricity in there. 
Now I'm expounding on what I heard, but the same type of thought exponentially expounded upon is God. He has the power to do whatever he wants, and yet he died for us so that we could be with him, that we could be vessels used for his glory. And it's a choice that we should make and should always remember and never try to steal his glory because if we believe that we've done something, he leaves the room. You can't take his glory. But look what, I mean, Jezebel tells, or Ahab tells Jezebel that Elijah done it. Elijah executed all of your prophets. And so she threatens him. He becomes afraid of her instead of the fear of God. Fear of man produces a stumbling block, but the fear of God produces righteousness. And you would think, think about this, you would think, what? You just went through this great victory, this Mount Carmel, this mountaintop victory. And then you take off running because of one threat. And we're like that. We're fickle. Don't forget James 5 says that we have a spirit just like Elijah's. God can provide. You just paid off one of the biggest bills you ever had. And then you, you got to turn around and get some gas money. And you go, oh, no, where's that going to come from? And we freak out instead of remembering that my God will supply for all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And that's why we have to keep things in perspective. Keep our eyes upon God. Stay in the relationship with God. Stay in prayer, the place of communication. Prayer, where we're dependent upon God. We're building a relationship with God. We're hearing from God. We're gaining instruction from God. The word prayer and fellowship. So he runs to, he's running for his life. What are you running from? What are you afraid of? Very important. What keeps you up at night? He runs there. I guess he left his servant there in Beersheba. And I don't know. Maybe he didn't want his servant to witness him running. I don't know. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness... And came and sat down under a broom tree. Right? He's still praying. But he's praying wrongly. Look what he says. And he prayed that he might die. He's running for his life. Because Jezebel's going to take it. And then he prays that he might die. Wait a minute. This is some crazy confusion, isn't it? And said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. For I am no better than my father's. And this is a very important thing. This is one of the things I think personally that God's trying to show him. Listen, this is something that I think God's trying to show him. He doesn't, God doesn't want to take his life and kill him. But he comes to this place where he realizes, think about this. He goes up on the Mount Carmel going, hey, listen, you heathens. Either the Lord is God or Baal is God. Make a decision. And in some ways, there's spiritual pride there because he's representing God. And then he gets afraid and runs from Jezebel 
and he runs and he runs and he sits down under this broom tree and he realizes that he's just like those people were. And it's something that you and I always need to remember that apart from God, we are all exactly the same sinners who need a Savior. None righteous, no, not one. And he realizes in that moment that I am doing exactly what they were doing when I went up there for this victory and challenged the prophets of Baal. I am running in fear. I am believing the lie. I am not listening and obeying you, God. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. He's saying, I'm just like them. And see, that's what God humbles us. He wants to bring us to a place where we realize that we're all the same. The devil wants to isolate you and decimate you. The devil wants you to think that you're, you're so much more special. You're so much more different. You're so much more better. Or he wants you to think you're the worst sinner ever. See, he wants to isolate you away from fellowship with other believers. He wants to convince you that nobody else ever sins. It's just you. He wants to convince you that you're the best at this or the best at that. And then that separates you in your pride. But it's just false humility. But God wants us to do what? See our heart. To reveal our hearts. And that's what he's trying to reveal to Elijah. See, Elijah was using this great Mount Carmel victory, but he has a spirit just like you and me. He has a heart just like us. He has to stay in that place of relationship with God. Or he will run from an earthly power that has no control over him. And God will allow that. God allows these things to happen to show us our heart. What did Elijah see? I am just like my fathers. That's a great thing to see. Apart from you, Lord God Almighty, I'm just like any other person. But now in Christ, he's gifted us and he's put us in places. He's put us in positions. He's made us all the body of Christ. But we're all supposed to work together. And the devil is trying to separate us and isolate us and decimate us. And he can do it with false spiritual pride or he can do it in sin. He can do it on either side. But we need to find that balance in the middle where we're trusting in God. We're going out and loving for God and teaching for God and telling for God and trusting God. And we're not allowing the enemy to move us to the place where we shouldn't be because of fear. That we would run for our life or even ask God to take our life because of the enemy and what he would do with our relationship. We should be in proper relationship with God where we know that it's his power, it's his might, it's his strength, it's his kingdom, it's his gifting, it's his work. And he gets the glory for all of it, no matter what. Take my life. I'm running for my life. God, you take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Then, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Of course, my Bible has a little X next to angel, and it's got a note that says it could be capitalized. 
It just means a messenger angel. It could be a, a, a Christophany. It could be Christ in the flesh. I, I don't necessarily believe it is, although I have no problem if it was. So he feeds him bread and water. Listen, listen, bread and water. Listen, what are we supposed to be eating on to be strengthened? When we're being humbled, stay in the bread and the water. Jesus is the bread of life. Stay in the word of God and the water is the spirit of God. No matter what is going on in your life, running for your life or you're asking God to take your life, no matter whether victory or defeat, hero or zero, you always remember to stay on a steady diet of the word of God led by the spirit of God. No matter what, stay in that place and continue that steady diet of bread and water. It's a good diet. Verse 6, then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked with coals and water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Seven, and the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Listen, the journey is too great for us, but nothing is too great for the Lord. And he will supply. He's supplying the bread and water. He's coming and touching us and feeding us. He's the one that we need to have his touch in everything that we do. And touch means just to lay the hand upon, to draw near, to join. And that's what we need. We need his strength. And he said, the journey is too great for you. Verse 8, so he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I do know that in verse 8 there, it says he went on the strength of that meat in the King James, that meat 40 days, but there's a note in the King James that says meal, because it is bread. It's the same word for meat in Leviticus 2, which is a meat offering, which is really a meal offering, which is really uh, where they do the, remember I told you about this before, where they do, they grow, they, they plant the seed, they, they, they tend the, the, the field, they, they harvest the seed, they grind the grain, and they would make bread. Well, with the meat offering or the meal offering, they would grind the grain again, and it was fine flour that they had their hands on every bit of it, and it was really a recipe for bread, the bread of life. And that's why I was telling you that this water and this meat or meal or bread, this cake, this is all about the bread of life and the spirit of God. And this is the strength that he's going to go on. Not by power and not by might, saith the Lord. Excuse me, or, or, or uh, um, what is Ephesians 6.10? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's 10. 6.10, yes. That's what he's doing. He's being strong. This is the strength that he's going to go in. For how long? 40 days and 40 nights. These two meals, he's not eating no more for 40 days and 40 nights. And where is he going? To Horeb, the mountain of God. What is that? That's the mountain where it's Mount Sinai. It's the Sinaitic mountain range where Moses got the covenant from God at. 
The angel's taking him to the same place, back to the place where he met with God, to this mountain, and he's actually going to be fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, Deuteronomy 9.9, on that same mountain, right? Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. It's Matthew 4, 1 and 2. And then all three of these guys in Luke 9, 28, on the Mount of Transfiguration, all three of them that fasted 40 days and 40 nights, the law, the prophets, and Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, the grace of God, they all meet in that vision of, uh, of trans, uh, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. Again, it's a, it's a mountaintop experience. And remember what happened after that? They went down into the valley and the other disciples couldn't cast a demon out. And he says, these only come out by prayer and fasting sometimes. Again, though, it's prayer. Again, though, they're meeting together. Again, though, there's 40 days this strength comes from the bread of God. It comes from the word of God and the spirit of God. You and I have a long journey, and it's too great for us. But if we'll surrender and realize who is actually our strength, realize where our strength comes from, realize where our nourishment comes from, that God has touched us, and we stand in Christ, and our nourishment is the bread and the water, the, the, the word and the spirit, we can go through this. And 40, again, is the number of judgment, too. Remember that. 40 is the number of judgment. We can pass through judgment and still have life and make it to the mountain of God. Well, what's he doing on the mountain of God? The place where the, uh, the uh, 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 covenant was made, the Old Testament covenant. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And notice what happens. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Listen, listen. He's being humble. He's eating bread. He's, he's eating the water, the, 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 the word of God and the spirit of God. And, and God is still speaking to him. Notice he's staying in the place where God can speak to him. God is reasoning to him. Now notice he asks him what? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? But he's going to answer him why. He's not going to answer what. See, where are you today? Listen, this is something you can ask yourself. Where am I with, with my relationship with God? Where am I in life? Why am I here? What am I doing here? See, because we've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. We've been given commission to go and be ambassadors for Christ. And we've got to stay focused on that. We can't get focused on what others have done. We've got to stay focused on what God has called us to do. Where we are at and why we're there. And then surrender that, our heart, to God. And listen for more instruction. Reasoning with God. What does he say to him? This is Elijah's heart. We're hearing Elijah's heart. We're hearing why Elijah's doing what he's doing. Now we know that he's afraid. 
He's running from Jezebel. He's afraid for his life. So we obviously know that he's, he, he, the fear will kill his faith. So he had all this faith to go to Mount Carmel, have the victory. Jezebel threatens him. Where did his faith go? I mean, you'd think that what he would have said was, hey, God killed the 850 prophets of Baal, and God can kill you. That's faith. But listen, God wants to train us and teach us. And our faith is in him and held by him. Our life is held by him. And we can lose that faith at any moment. He's the one that takes us on. It's in his strength. It's in his power. It's because of his word. It's because of his spirit. It's not because of us. It's because of what he's doing. The same way when they attack us, it's because of what he's already done. They're attacking him, not us. We're just his ambassadors. We just represent him. Look where his heart's at and what he says. This is Elijah's heart and his thoughts. So he answers God, I, ego, look at that, I, 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 be careful when we start saying that, have been very zealous for the Lord. So he tells us his heart, look what I've done for you, Lord. Look what I did. No, God did it through you, Elijah. You were just obeying. You were just a suffering servant. For the children of Israel, then he points at others, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Remember, he's on Mount Sinai. He's on Mount Horeb. He's where the covenant was given that they've forsaken. He's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. They've torn down your altars, a place of worship. They tore them down. Remember, he rebuilt them on Mount Carmel. Remember, he rebuilt the altar of God, and then he had him put rocks out and put the offering there and then bring the water up from the brook Kadron and pour it on the altar. And they killed your prophets with the sword. Jezebel did that, remember? The prophet Jebel did that. And then he says this, I'm all by myself. I'm having a pity party. It's what they call the Elijah complex. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. He's afraid. What are you doing running for your life? What are you doing praying for me to take your life? What are you doing all the way out here? Woe is me. Again, false pride. Look what I did. I've been zealous for you, God. Verse 11. Then he said, God said, go out. The word of the Lord came to him. Remember that? That's what it says here. The word of the Lord came to him. Verse 9. What are you doing here? So he answers him. He asks him what. He answers him why. Because. 11. He says, go out. The word of the Lord says. And this is where I think that this really is Christ. Because it's the word of the Lord that came to him. The word of the Lord in verse 9 probably should be capitalized. Because it's a Christophany. That's why I said that I don't think the angel should be capitalized because the angel was probably feeding him a messenger from God and now God himself has showed up to speak with him. But it could have been both times, although he's called the angel once and he's called the word the other time if it is both times. Go out. Again, we have the go. That's what you and I are supposed to do. We're supposed to go and stand. That's what we're called to do. On the mountain before the Lord. Stand before the Lord. Remember that always. Listen. As we go. As we stand. It's always in the Lord's power. The Lord's might. But we're before the Lord always. 
That's a promise. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We can go out and stand before the Lord no matter what, and our times are in His hand. But if you go out and you've made it up in your religion, you've made it up in your work, and it's not what God has told you to go do, you might get ready to meet Him because it might not end well. But when you go out because He told you to do it, Mount Carmel, victory is always there. Go out and stand before the Lord. That's where I want to stand. I want to stand before the Lord. But I can't do it unless I put on the full armor of God. 611. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the walls of the devil. See, the walls of the devil is Jezebel threatening him, bringing fear, trying to destroy his faith. They're doing it in the world today. Lying to us. You're all going to die. You can't get six foot together. Why do we need to have masks on to protect each other, then stay six foot away, and then we still need to have a vaccine, and then it still might not be all together right until we figure out what else is going on. It's all a power grab. It's all made to destroy the norms of our society. It's all made to shake the foundations. But listen, Christ is a solid foundation. If we will just look to him and stand before him and go for him, we don't have to be shaken no matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Where are you at, Elijah? Where are we at today? Where's our relationship with God? That's really what matters in the word prayer and fellowship. So go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, listen, behold, the Lord passed by. Remember that when Moses was said, let me see your glory. And he put him in the cleft of this same rock on this same hill, maybe the same cave. I don't know. And he let him just see his Shekinah glory, his hind parts as he passed by. He didn't let him see his face. But notice this, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Wasn't in the wind. Could have been. The Lord could break rocks, but the Lord had already passed by. He wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. He could be in the earthquake. He's all the power and might. He could be anywhere he wants to be. He's, he's omnipresent. Amen. And after the earthquake, a fire. Remember, he had just brought the fire of God to represent him, to burn up the offering. But the Lord was not in the fire. Listen, we want God to rock people, don't we? Burn them up. Bring it down. Turn them up. Judge them, Lord. But we don't ask for that for ourselves. And after the fire, listen, a still, small voice. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. What happened with Elijah? So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. That's his outer cloak. And went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Listen, he heard this still small voice. Wait a minute, now, I don't know this, and I'm, I'm watching this, I'm reading this, I'm seeing this, 
God has already told him to go out and stand on the mountain, right? Verse 11, before the Lord, it seems like he's never got there yet because because of the, the wind and the earthquake and the fire, and then the still small voice, 13 says, then he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. He hadn't done it yet. I'm not sure, just talking to you. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Don't you love it? God loves him so much. He's talking to him. He's reasoning with him. He's already asked him this once. And Elijah answered about himself. He asked him again. A still small voice. He's still hearing that voice. He's still listening. Are you getting alone with God to hear that voice? Are you spending time with God with maybe before the sun comes up? Maybe before anybody else in the house is moving. Are you spending time with God and learning to articulate and hear his voice and know his voice? Because when, listen, when the wind comes, when the earthquake comes, when the fire comes, you have to know what his voice sounds like. Or you'll listen to the wind. You'll be directed by Jezebel. You'll be directed by the fear. You'll be moved by circumstances instead of the voice of God. You'll be moved by a big wind, a big earthquake, a big fire, even though God's saying, stand. Stand here on the mountain. Stand with me in my victory. Wait a minute, I gotta run from the fire. I gotta run from the wind. I gotta run from the earthquake. I gotta run from Jezebel. She's threatened me. God's saying, listen to my still small voice and stand. This is the lesson you and I have to learn. Well, at least I do. Some people from Texas do. You guys might already know it. That no matter what the circumstance is, wait and listen for his still small voice before you move. So he says again there at the end of 13, what are you doing here, Elijah? Remember, he's running for his life from Jezebel. He's running for his life. God's wanting him to, to listen and have faith in me. What are you doing running from one woman? No matter what the spiritual power is behind her, it's not me. Listen to my still, small voice. And he repeats what he said before. So he hasn't got it yet. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel, look what the children are doing of yours, Lord. Get your eyes fixed on him. Listen for his voice. Quit pointing at his children. Let him deal with his children. Don't become a judge of his children. Minister to his children. Love his children. Teach his children. Your children, the children of Israel, those governed by God, have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, place of worship, do you have a place of worship or have you torn down that altar? Killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Pity party. Heart hard. Still wrong answer. He's saying, I don't trust you, Lord, to protect me. I went up and challenged them and I trusted you and the 850 prophets died. But now one threat, and here I go. But look what the Lord said. The Lord stayed the course. 15. The Lord said to him, go. 
That's what the Lord would say to you and I. Get our eyes off of everything else and go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, ancient city, the oldest one, still the capital of Syria. Going to be in the news again soon. Maybe we'll hear about it, maybe we won't. And when you arrive, when you get there to Damascus, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Haziel means God has seen. He's going to kill some. We'll see that later, I think, in 2 Kings. He kills a lot of people. He's an evil man. 2 Kings 8.8. 8. Syria. 16. Also you shall anoint Jehu... the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. Remember Israel, northern ten kingdoms. Judah is the southern kingdom. So he just said, anoint Jehu to take Ahab's place. Jehu means Jehovah is he. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Name your successor. You're running from your life. You're asking me to take your life. Remember, Elijah's going to go up and never die. Elijah is translated into heaven and never dies. It's interesting, isn't it? Anoint these people. And now here, here's your successor. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, evil king, Jehu will kill. He's the northern king's king, or northern tribe's king. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Big judgment's coming. People are going to die. Yet, look what he says to his pity party. Verse 18, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. It's a perfect number. 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he keeps saying, I alone am left, I alone am left. He's saying, no, there's 7,000 others. You're not by yourself. There's 7,000 others just like you who have not bowed the knee. To Baal. Which literally means to bend the knee, to prostrate yourself before Baal. It means to worship him. Uh, Balaam, of course, is a, means a, a master, a husband, owner. He's a false god. Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. Listen, who have not kissed. You see that? Who have not kissed him. Their mouths have not kissed him. Now listen, this is what it means. The kiss there means the idea of fastening up with him. Or to equip with weapons. In other words, they're not getting their weapons from Baal. Listen, they are not putting on the armor of Baal. They are putting on the armor of God. They're being equipped by God. They're in the same category as Elijah. There's 7,000 more. There's always going to be a remnant who is putting on the armor of God, who's trusting in God, who's not bowing the knee and worshiping the false gods 
or the systems of this world. God always has a remnant, a faithful remnant who's following him and proclaiming him and standing for him. And that's what he's telling him. Quit acting like you're alone. There's many others. It's a 7,000. Might be a perfect number. It might be an exact number. But he says, quit bellyaching and go. Oh, he doesn't say it like that. That's the way I said it. You're wrong, Elijah. There's 7,000. Don't believe the lie. Don't run from Jezebel. Go back and do this. So go stand in front of them and trust me. And Elijah does. So he departed from there, verse 19. He found Elisha. Elisha means God is my salvation. He found Elisha, his salvation, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. And that just means that there's 12 teams of oxen 12 people plowing. He was the last one. All the rest of them was in front of him. 12 could be indicative of the 12 tribes, which would speak later of the 12 disciples who represented them. And he was just the last one. So God chose the last one, not the front 11, but the last one. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, his outer coat. That's the way you would pass on. You throw it on him to warm him. And he left the oxen, the oxen, Elisha did, and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. See, he knew that the mantle thrown on him meant he was choosing him to be his disciple and follow him. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? Interesting way of telling him, Okay. He said, Okay, do that. Go kiss your father and your mother and then come follow me. Notice, notice how I know that. Look at verse 21. So Elisha turned back from him. He took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh. How did he do that, Greg? Using the oxen equipment. The ox that he was plowing with, all the equipment in the wood, he burned it. He killed the ox. He burnt the bridges behind him. There's no turning back. He's not going back to be a farmer again. He's not turning back to plow a field again. He's going to go work in God's harvest. He's going to go do the calling of God that has been given to him. And that's what you have to do. You have to burn all the old strength that's from the ox. You have to get rid of all the old places and haunts to go back to. And you make a commitment to follow God the prophet is the one who brings the word of God. You make a firm commitment. You say goodbye to your father and your mother. You say goodbye to the father of lies. You say goodbye to the world. And you move on and you follow God. He burnt everything. He killed the ox. He killed his own strength. He burnt the equipment. And he gave it to the people. And they ate. He had a last meal with them. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Isn't that interesting? Remember when he went to Beersheba and he left his servant there and then he went on for another mile and he sat down with God and he said, take my life. I'm just like my father's. Well, God gave him another servant. And it's Elisha. Who means, which means God is my salvation. In fact, his dad, Shaphat, means judge. 
Listen. We've been called by God to go and be his ambassadors and to stand, put on the armor of God. We should celebrate that. Get rid of the old life. Burn it. Judge it. Let it burn up. If anything remains, God's left it for you. But receive the calling. Grab a hold of the calling. And don't look back. Go forward in God's power and God's might and be God's servant. He alone is our salvation. He alone is our strength. And he loves us with a never-ending love. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Elijah who has a spirit just like us. That one moment, great victory, and the next moment, he can forget his faith in you. And yet you loved him and you used him and you sent him. And he's never died. Even though your word says it's appointed for man to die once and then comes to judgment. Lord, these mysteries we don't fully understand, but we look to you to reveal them to us when we need them. Lord, we know you've called us and you want us to go. We pray that we would kiss the world goodbye and that we would follow you in your strength, in your power, in your might, and know that all of us, all of us have fallen short of your glory. And if we do anything good, it's because of your power and your might and your strength. If you use us in any way, Lord, that we would keep our eyes fixed firmly upon you and we would give you the glory. Thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Now let us go and proclaim your praises, Lord, that we would not listen to the father of lies, that we would not get involved in the lies in the streets, but we would know clearly our calling to go and preach the gospel, to be ambassadors, as if Christ was pleading through us, be reconciled to God. Thank you for that calling. Equip us, Lord. Equip us. Pour out your spirit upon us afresh and anew. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.